Chapter 26 of The Romance of Piracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Piracy by Edward Kebble Chatterton. Chapter 26 The Pirates of Borneo. We have seen already, during the preceding chapters, that there have been certain geographical spheres where piracy has been especially prevalent and persistent. Although, of course, there are some exceptions, yet, as a rule, the most suitable area is either at some spot where both sides of the land converge to make straits, such as Gibraltar, or the entrance to the Red Sea, or in certain parts of the West Indies or the area is an archipelago where the multiplicity of islands can be used with advantage for convenient lurking places of this we have excellent examples in the aegean and caribbean seas each of which has been a notorious haunt for pirates and now we come to yet another territory which for both of these separate reasons has been even in our own generation a well-known sphere of murder and robbery at sea if you look at a chart or map of the Malay archipelago, you will see how land nearly meets land at the Straits of Malacca, so that ships passing between eastern and western ports on the great highway become focused into one comparatively small area, as at the Straits of Gibraltar, thus enabling the pirates to concentrate their attention on one particular spot with every assurance of reaping their cruel harvest but also where the three great seas the indian ocean the china sea and the mighty pacific meet just to the north of the australian continent you have here a perfect maze of islands which in the absence of any firm authority backed by adequate sea power are ready-made nests for the propagation of piracy and all which that term suggests whatever else a pirate was he was a master of strategy not by education but by instinct and the situation of the malay peninsula sumatra java and borneo almost spells piracy even if we were to be told that never in history had such a crime been hereabout perpetrated the malays were naturally sea rovers by habit and instinct and their native craft the swift-flying prahu was particularly suited for darting out from a snug lurking-place to harass the more cumbrous and slower merchant-ship as she was passing over the sea. It was impossible to confine their energies to fishing or trading. Naturally warlike and roving, the convenient geographical position where they lived afforded them every opportunity of fulfilling their heart's desire matters have altered a good deal during the last fifty or sixty years but about the middle of the last century before the modern steamship liner had conquered the world's trade routes no merchantman could voyage with safety through the region of which we are speaking simultaneously with the malays there were the dyaks of the northwest corner of the island of borneo who numbered thousands of warriors these men using spears and swords were induced and trained by the malays during the eighteenth century to become wily pirates too 
these dyaks became expert seamen with the facilities at their disposal and built a kind of prahu for their use called a bangkong joining their forces with the malays they were able to get together a formidable fleet of a hundred or more of these craft with which they swept the seas of any ships that might come their way laying waste the shores of borneo and carrying off crews as captives into slavery just as had been done by the moslem corsairs one of the chief characteristics of these dyaks was their passion for collecting human heads it is difficult for a civilized person to understand this propensity but head-hunting was not merely a sport but the accumulation of heads was looked upon as the essential possessions of manhood now among all the romance which centers round the splendid work which has been done in far-off countries by englishmen as rulers and governors as administrators and reformers few stories are more interesting than that of the late sir james brooke first rajah of sarawak in the island of borneo under his rule and that of his successor sir charles brooke this barbarous custom of head-hunting as well as the persistent piracies have been happily put down and in the small space which is at my disposal i propose now to give some idea of the kind of evil which had to be tackled in the forties of the nineteenth century the english navy was sent to act against the malays and dyaks of sarabas and it is to the interesting account written by captain the honourable henry keppel r n that i am largely indebted for the following details although the rajah of sarawak had done much to banish piracy yet he found that an intrigue was on foot to revive this crime so in the year eighteen forty nine we find a strong force under captain arthur farquhar r n consisting of h m sloop royalist the honorable east india company's armed steamship nemesis h m steam tender rani together with a flotilla made up of the gig pinnace and cutter of h m s albatross these craft were fully armed and manned by one hundred and three officers and men the albatross had been sent by the british government from the china station and while this was being done sir james brooke was making every preparation for the forthcoming expedition on the twenty fourth of july the s s nemesis together with the royalist and the rani started inland owing to her size and draught the albatross was left behind at the entrance to the river sarawak following astern of the other craft were towed three of the albatross's boats three from the nemesis and the royalists cutter in addition to these there were also brought eighteen native craft the rajah being in his new prahu a little later and this expedition was also joined by the orang kaya of lundu with three hundred men in prahus of various sizes and presently too the linga dyaks and others about eight hundred strong came with their help so that eventually there were altogether twenty-five hundred men ready and keen to meet the pirates the reader will wish to know before we proceed further some details concerning the prahu 
she is one of the fastest vessels in the world propelled by sail measuring no less than ninety feet with about nine feet beam pulling about eighty oars in two tiers she was manned by one hundred men over the oarsmen was a light strong flat roof of thin strips of bamboo covered with matting to protect the ammunition and provisions from the rain and also to serve as a platform from which she could fire the rifles or hurl spears the rowers used to sit cross-legged on a shelf and they could get a wonderful speed on to their craft six swivel guns were mounted on either side and thirty rifles were also carried so that one can quite easily imagine that such a craft with a score more like her could inflict almost any harm they liked on a trading ship becalmed the dyak bangkongs which were very similar to these drew very little water so were able to creep into shallow hiding places propelled by their eighty paddles these craft with their overhanging bow and stern were so noiseless in their approach and so stealthy in their movement so easily capable of darting to and fro that no wonder they became a terror to all commercial shipping it was customary for these pirates when attacked to rush back up the river into the jungle rather than to stand out to sea for they knew how to hide themselves in the thickets and as to the prahu they could either conceal that by hauling her ashore or else destroy her very difficult therefore was the task of dealing with these artful fellows and the wisdom of taking so many boats and craft similar to those of the enemy is quickly apparent sometimes the pirates would try to run out to sea when no other course was left but this was rare very useful did the fast-pulling boats of the punitive expedition prove for keeping a lookout and signalling the approach of the enemy for now the expedition had arrived at the spot where they were to wait it was known that the pirates were coming along with one hundred fifty prahus and that they had the great chiefs of the malays to help them after capturing trading vessels loaded with sago and cotton goods they had come along the river with the strong flood tide between them and the main body of the punitive expedition were the latter's scouts waiting anxiously in the darkness of the night to give the warning suddenly a rocket went hissing up into the sky and lit up the dark arc of heaven this was the signal from the scouts that the enemy were approaching they came on in two divisions whilst the rajah's fleet behind the scouts were guarding the breadth of the river the hot tide was bringing the rival forces nearer and nearer but as soon as the pirates peering through the night outlined the form of a steamer they began to be nervous for here was a craft at last superior to their own the first firing had taken place when they came in touch with the expedition's scouts in man-of-war's boats and then the discharge of musketry became fiercer and fiercer so that it was not long before the pirates in spite of all their strength were thrown utterly into confusion during the fighting it was difficult to tell foe from friend but the happy arrangement had been made of the expedition's boats burning blue lights and what with these dotted about the dark river 
what with the glare of the rockets the cheers of the blue jackets the discharge of musketry and the defiant yells of the pirate it was a most impressive night it was not long before the enemy realized that his chances were hopeless no fewer than eighty bangkongs were run on shore while some others tried to escape down the river and out to sea seventeen of the larger prahus in avoiding a shoal attempted to pass the steamer and so were destroyed forthwith the pirates lost very heavily whereas our casualties were but slight though when blue jackets were humanely endeavoring to rescue pirates struggling in the water from drowning the rescuers were viciously attacked as the half-drowned creatures could not comprehend this consideration for human life when morning came there were found no fewer than sixty deserted prahus in addition to a quantity of debris on the beach as many as twenty-five hundred of the enemy had hurriedly dashed their craft ashore and fled into the jungle our men had captured or destroyed eighty-eight of this fleet or over one-half of the one hundred fifty which had set out and from five hundred to eight hundred of the pirates had been killed our losses were nil and only a few men wounded in trying to prevent these men sinking with sword and shield still in their wicked hands it had been a well-organized attack from our side and the spot just by the entrances of the rivers kaluka and sarabas had been well chosen the enemy had been thoroughly terrified from first to last as he had come up with the flood tide and realized the strength of the expedition he had lost his senses completely and become obsessed with no other idea than to get out of it as quickly as he could so having dealt piracy a very severe blow the expedition spent a couple of days securing prisoners and destroying captured boats then on the second of august the fleet proceeded up the sarabas river and anchored near the entrance of the paku branch here it became necessary owing to the nature of the river to leave the nemesis and the heaviest prahus behind but the lighter boats and the captured bangkongs continued the advance the small steamer rani and the men-of-war's boats going on ahead astern came several hundred of the native boats all eager for plunder but the rushing tide swept them all together in confusion and meanwhile during this medley a tree branch overhanging the river got athwart the rani and swept away her funnel simultaneously she got aground forward and her stern being free she was carried right across the river by the current steam was let off in the usual manner and this noise so strange and awe-inspiring to the natives caused them so much terror that some of them jumped into the water others leapt into other boats thus swamping them while the remainder resigned themselves pathetically to their fate it was a ludicrous sight but comprehensible as the enemy had felled so many trees into the water to bar the progress of the expedition it became necessary before attempting further procedure to send a party of dyaks on land in order to clear away these obstacles the rest of the journey was quite easy the fleet anchored and took paku and 
having wooded the steamer with her necessary fuel the expedition once more proceeded up the alligator-infested river till they came to the mouth of the kanawit up which no european had yet ascended it was now found impossible for the steamer to get farther so only the lighter boats with their two thousand men now advanced their instructions being to punish the guilty but to spare those who surrendered slow progress was made against a strong stream and this had given the inhabitants time to realize that trouble was approaching for it was presently discovered that they had hurriedly left and before doing so had burnt down their farmhouses but in the ruins of these were ample evidences of the amazing collections of human heads which these men had made these sakarans had never expected that a big force of two thousand malays and dyaks led by a european rajah and a few english would have penetrated a hundred miles into the interior but as the expedition had taught them a salutary lesson it refrained from touching one of these natives and presently the return journey was begun back this miscellaneous fleet went with cotton fields sugar-cane and coconut trees growing on either hand and with plenty of pigs and poultry in evidence finally the expedition returned home in safety it had been a great success and made a deep impression on the natives not merely in respect of its display of strength but in its humane dealings with those who were alive this latter characteristic caused especial surprise the fines which were now levied were applied to reward the captors or prisoners who had been caught without being injured only a few years before this firm action no european merchant ship had ventured on the northwest coast of borneo and those which had previously risked coming had paid for their temerity it was asserted by lloyds that within a space of only a dozen years no fewer than thirty or forty square-rigged craft had been captured plundered or in some way molested by these pirates and the european crews murdered but this successful expedition also had an indirect effect for before long many piratical chiefs came to the rajah and made a pledge that they would never engage in piracy again the admissions of these men sufficiently indicated the extent of the depredations within eight months admitted one ex-pirate three large fleets had sailed from the sarabas on piratical cruises their object was to take plunder and heads on sea and they made a point of attacking all they were likely to overcome chinese malay fishermen merchants it made no difference these pirates it was proved did not engage in trade but whenever they stood in need of money or slaves they went pirating we have no friends when at sea remarked one of these corsairs on oath they would attack towns and lay them waste simply for two motives love of plunder and the desire to collect heads as illustrative of their recognizing no friends at sea the following instance may here be cited on a certain occasion a prahu was attacked off the coast by two other prahus why are you attacking your friends inquired the first 
the answer came quite candidly at home we make a distinction between friends and enemies but at sea everybody we kill and plunder with such views on the subject and such deeply rooted bias towards piracy it was hardly to be expected that the neighborhood would remain free from this nuisance for all time by the year eighteen sixty two the pirates had become so daring that they attacked quite large craft a spanish steamer and gunboat had had some smart encounters but they had sunk two prahus and their crews they had also bombarded a pirate stronghold and rescued twenty-one christian indian natives as well as twelve javanese malays and the spanish steamer had run down fifteen more prahus one after the other on their way to borneo and there is still preserved a copy of a letter written in that year by rajah brooke to say that on twenty seventh may eighteen sixty two while lying at anchor in his steam yacht the rainbow a boat came alongside giving information that six large pirate craft were passing along the coast having killed several people and taken many captives even this very boat which had brought the message had barely escaped so the rainbow and a gunboat were immediately prepared for action and steamed out over the bar the bishop of labuan being on board at the time at daylight one morning three of the enemy were discovered from the masthead seven or eight miles to seaward chase was now at once given and the prahus were seen to be crowded with men it was now clearly their object to get ashore if possible before the rainbow should get up with them the leading craft actually did so succeed and ran herself on to the rocks at cadrong point the rainbow stood as near inshore as she could and while steaming in two fathoms the pirates fired on her from their muskets this fire was now returned with interest and after ten minutes cannonade the survivors as usual disappeared into the jungle the rainbow now attacked the other two boats one of which she ran down the other was captured and brought alongside full of men women and children whom the pirates had taken as prisoners these were brought on board and the wounded attended by the bishop from one boat alone there were taken one spanish and five dutch flags which showed doubtless as many acts of piracy shortly after the remaining three pirate prahus were found at sea and eventually destroyed though one of them made a most desperate fight killing and wounding several of the rainbow's complement and they even continued to fight when in the water the rainbow took thirty on board who were pinioned and placed in the hold the poor captives were found to be nearly starved the pirates had treated them most cruelly having given them salt water to drink and for the first few weeks had disabled them by beating their knees and elbow joints with bamboos thus civilization good administration and a determination to oust these sea robbers and murderers have to be thanked for doing a sound work not merely to individuals but to ships and commerce generally if ever there were any men 
who may unquestionably be set down as universal enemies of the human race, certainly they are the brigands on shore and the pirates afloat. End of chapter 26 Recording by Linda Johnson, 